Hey everybody, this is the One Take VC pod. Uh, we talk to founders in emerging markets. Today on the pod, we've got Yusuf and Daniel from Panelit. Welcome, guys. Thank you for having us, Michael. So Panelit's in Singapore. Yep. <laughs> Panelit's in Singapore. Um, I think, uh, Yusuf, you were the sort of the head of growth or held different roles in your time at the organization. And then Daniel, you're sitting in the CEO position or co-CEO position. Um, and my read on it was is roughly kind of its people analytics platform helps organizations make data-driven decisions uh, about their workforce. Um, and, uh, you know, when we were having the pre-call, we were talking about, you know, data analytics, HR analytics, that's got, that sounds sexy. Let's, let's get into that. That's got to be the sexiest sector, right? <laughs> is that typically the, the, the feeling that you get when you're talking to people? Is, is HR analytics something that really resonates very easily? Or you find that there's a little bit of a learning curve when, when you're talking about that sector? Yeah, there's a pretty huge learning curve. I, I, I think <laughs> I think data analytics has become sexy mm. relatively recently, mm. um, and uh, I think HR has never been sexy and, and will never be sexy. Um, <laughs> and uh, the idea, and, and I think essentially when we started this, you know, over five years ago, there, there, the idea of, of people analytics was a still really nascent, very. Mm small world a small number of people actually even understood what the term was um and so yeah we were very much in the position of explaining what this is you, you could never just say oh yeah we do people analytics and, and people go oh that's great no, no it's always we do people analytics and that means right. this um and then for us uh we were I, I think we felt very good about being in the position of starting to define what people analytics technology is um mm -hmm. and and so we were you know we, we were looking at the HR technology space and mm -hmm. seeing an opportunity that that people analytics tech hadn't really been defined as a as a market and and that's and that's great if you get to define it um, it's frustrating because you have to explain it to everyone so right, right. you know there's a plus and a minus well so we're going to jump into it I think uh, just to call back in terms of like what what does a HR analytics company do. Yusuf, I, I did a bit of digging, and, and don't worry, um, I didn't find anything um, of, of, of any uh, danger here to you. But I did find a really cool post uh, that you wrote about um, kind of what, what is HR analytics, and you used the analogy of, of uh, musicians, because you're a musician, I think. And uh, I don't know how far back your memory goes on your Facebook post, but mine goes quicker than yours, because I spent the last weekend looking at them. Uh, but you were talking about letting, letting musicians want to play right? Musicians want to play, employees and teams want to build, they want to make progress. And you framed it in that regard that, that you can kind of create an HR analytics platform around the orchestra itself and, and bring together the players. And so I, I really enjoyed that, that analogy. Um, so, so just kind of jumping back to the beginning of the story, um, let's talk about you guys first. I think, I think you met in Dubai, right? So, so how did you guys meet and what was, what was that first day like? I don't know if you, sure. Yeah, you go ahead, Yusuf. You, you, uh, you can say how you so track me down. I was in down. my final year of uh, university, and then I went through an experience where I realized, hey, you can actually message people at the top of companies and skip the recruiter <laughs> completely. Don't say that so on the, this messaging... People will start messaging us now. <laughs> uh, I just started messaging C-level people at some of the companies I wanted to work for in uh, yeah, Singapore at that time. Daniel was in a was a CHRO in Singapore, I think for Uber internationally outside the US. Yeah. And so I reached out to him directly saying, Hey, look, can I can I come and work for free? Can you just can I just come and do something <laughs> at Uber, you know, just to get that experience? But then 
didn't hear from him for like three or four months and then suddenly he was like hey i need you in dubai and like a few days can you be here <laughs> and then yeah within a week i was in uh, dubai and then we were just yeah since then we've been working together yeah i i was um I, I was with Uber for about a year and a half odd through the the, the super early high growth days when right. when I joined, people were like, "Why are you joining a taxi company?" And, and it, yeah. it was just wasn't that well known. We had a couple of hundred people outside the US when I joined, and we were about four and a half thousand odd by the time I left. And and the first year at, at Uber was you know the first or the first six nine months was the the most interest, the most exciting, the most you know, the. Uh, educational and an and interesting experience you know in, in my life and then and then the the second nine months were horrendous and painful and that <laughs> an absolute hell um, yeah yeah it, it, and, and as a company that, that's that's kind of what, what what uber is um but yeah so by the time i left um by the time i left i think i, I was I, I used to be on the the the, the global sort of hr leadership team which was about eight of us most right. most you know all, all in the u.s then plus me um and by the time i left what what seven out of the eight had left and it was mm-hmm. it was a, a complete exodus so i did need to recharge and I, and I wasn't up for another big corporate gig um and so i started doing one man consulting um I, I worked for founders and investors and obviously i knew a bunch of investors from the uber days and um and they they wanted me to go and and support their high growth uh, investee companies um so i, I was parachuted into portfolio companies for maybe one day, maybe one week, mm-hmm. in some cases six months, to to build the HR so tech and processes mm-hmm. and, and and approach that allows a company to go from a hundred to a thousand, you know, in a few months, or from a thousand to ten thousand, or in in one case that we worked on ten thousand to a hundred thousand. Um, it, it it was yeah, it was a super super interesting time and and traveling around the world and yeah, found myself in Dubai on on one of the early early projects with these enormous amounts of data of thousands of employees that have been hired or all sitting on Excel sheets. And like how one, one way that you, one thing you have to do if you're growing a company uh, in that speed and scale is you need mm-hmm. to get your hands around the data and you need to get your hands around um, how, how you're tracking people and, 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 and you can only grow at scale if you can get your hands around the data in a, in a really uh, structured way. Um, and then, yeah, then I noticed this this, this guy pinging me on LinkedIn that, that had a data science background <laughs> and worked on worked on um, HR data projects in his internships, and and I was like, oh, I need to get this guy here now. Um, and we really clicked, and and uh, and yeah, and then we worked together on every subsequent project, and along mm. the way, we saw that this whole data aspect of, of, of data being unclean and, and, and difficult to get your hands around was just kind of the same issue again and again and again. And it really echoed right, my right. background of 20 odd years in HR do, doing this kind of work. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'd been, you know, I'd kind of taken it for granted. This is just how bad HR is at data and, and systems. And I just, I just thought it was one of those problems you just, you just can't solve because I'd always lived right. with it. Whereas right. you have had the perspective of, no, 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 no. This could be solved. <laughs> it doesn't have to be this way. He could, he could um, kind of get his hands around the whole thing then in, in your yeah, words. And had the technology yeah. background and, and also the unwillingness to, to put up with the, with, with, with this kind of you know, terrible situation. Um, it's like, we shouldn't be doing this manually constantly. Right. So right. we started scoping out a, a system and that's really where the MVP for, for panel it came from was solving a real problem that, that he could right. see in front of him and was experiencing. And I'd been seeing for 20 odd mm-hmm. years. Um, mm-hmm. And there was no no real tool on the market for us to buy, so we started yeah. building. 
I'll say inexperience also played a big role in me being so naive because it's yeah. one thing it's it's one thing to build it for companies to build a pl- platform you know to do something mm-hmm. that does something at scale for x amount of companies is a completely different ball game as opposed to a consulting kind of agreement where you're trying to do something company by company or so yeah i really i really learning curve for us I want to tease into some of that those those moments those early moments of you Daniel working with your customers but I'm going to, I'm going to come back to it later but just staying with you and the co-founder there I mean I heard Daniel say that something that you really I'm paraphrasing you now but something that you really saw in Yusuf was that he could get his hands around the problem he could, he was he was also whether it be naivety or inexperience Yusuf you were you were saying this is unacceptable that like we can fix this but also through competence and experience you 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 could fix it you could get your hands around it um and then Certainly not to not to, to to cut you off there, Daniel. I'm sure there's other things in Yusuf that you really saw and, and learned over the last few years that that work well as a co-founder with you. But but Yusuf, when you met Daniel and then even through working with Daniel in the various hats that you've both had to wear, um, what are you really grateful for that he sort of brings to the table that brings you out of yourself and brings brings a, a you know panel it to life? I think it's been like I would call it holistic mentorship. Basically, mm. it's like it's been. Daniel is, I think he's well known in his circles for being a very business savvy HR person. He thinks about the business first, but also has a strong people background. So getting exposed to that kind of lens um, very early was pretty fundamental in shaping how I think about certain fields. But apart from that, you know, like he's great at just seeing him and learning from the way he manages people, manages tough situations. I was, I think, 20, 21. Mm. I was 21 around the time when we first met and I was very rough and then, you know, just kind of like, it's been painful for him at times as well, I suppose. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think like the whole experience has been a very nice way to just grow both professionally and personally. I'm quite grateful for that. That's wonderful. I mean, it's it, you, we we hope like the listeners, a lot of them are going to be early stage founders and they try to think about how to, how to get a good match to your co-founding team, complementary skills and there's all these two-dimensional ways to look at it, right? And and you often hear this comment of like, find a builder, find a salesman maybe, or uh, find a tech side person, find a business side person. But there's so much more to it than that. And 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 hearing those, those are two really specific reasons, right? Anchors there that came out. One is, you know, Yusuf could get his hands around the problem. And and then for you, Daniel, that you've got this, you've got a credibility and a, and a kind of a wholesome mentorship approach. That's a lot more three-dimensional than than the typical way that you that you hear we should go find co-founding teams. But but it didn't just stop with you guys. I mean, I know that you've got you've had a, a journey with with a, a wider co-founding uh, mm. community, right? So what does that look like outside of the two of you? Yeah. So so in the in the early days when when we when we started thinking, okay, is this really realistic? And we were scoping out what the product needed to yeah. do and. Yeah. Um, and, and 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 Yusuf was coming up with okay, but but I but I know some guys who can help us build this. You know, it, it's like for for me, I've got a kind of a, a very practical. Like I need to actually see something. You know, we need to actually put a demo together where we can actually um, you know prove that this will actually work. Um, and and uh, Yusuf was well connected with the, his uh, his sort of next next year down um, group of, of graduates at NTU in Singapore. And so this mm-hmm. is like the top technical university attracts mm-hmm. people from all, all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he knew a couple of guys that were 
just what what they term in at the university as hackers they're, they're they're guys that do these hacking competitions where you're given a challenge and basically two days to to build a piece of software that will that will meet the challenge and these guys were um were, were real you know winners at that and so we we put together we, we approached them and said hey come and come and build something really odd with us uh and uh and then they agreed to come come and help us in the in their final year um they uh and it's basically it was the the four of us you know we we flew down to uh actually we flew down to bali a couple of times and and to to, to thailand a couple of times and took over villas and and for, spent weekends crunching on the idea and building the mvp um awesome, and mm-hmm. uh, i i was you know we, we were yusuf and i were, were working on other on other projects full-time while we were doing this um mm-hmm. and i bootstrapped the 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 mvp building um mm-hmm. but the, but those guys um you know, we're, we're PJ and, and Shaq. These are these are guys that, that that helped us build the MVP, and the MVP is what really got us the initial funding, um, mm-hmm. and and really, you know, it's the, the the basis of the of the of the product. Um, I, I think a lot of companies pivot their product significantly as they go along, yeah. right? Yeah. Panelit kind of emerged pretty fully formed in, in our early days. Again, I suppose because 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 it's something that that I've been wanting for a long time, and I suppose I could explain already been clearly what right. I wanted. Yeah. Yeah, well, in my head, in terms in of head. Why, yeah. <laughs> why don't we have something that does this? Um, and so the concept for it, and then and then yeah, Yusuf and the and the early team were were very very clear about building it. So we've had that that early team, um, and and so the folks have really joined when we got the very first funding and set up the company and, and employed a small a small team of, of mm-hmm. pretty much all all new grads. Someone on the data side, someone on the design mm-hmm. side. Um, mm-hmm. Our current chief data scientist joined us after his. Uh, uh, d- during his his uh, master's program, he did an internship with us as, mm-hmm. as an as a as a, an intern during his master's, um, mm-hmm. and then stayed with us. and And we've been really lucky to to find a group of people that have been passionate about Panelit from the beginning, have worked with us on a part time or internship basis, and then decided to join the team full time. And most mm-hmm. of that team is still with us now, five years later. Um, mm-hmm. But along the way, we also uh, brought on board um, a couple of Folks that are now sort of my my colleagues on our management team, um, Tran and, and Takako, that are, lead our Japan business. Um, I spent many years in Japan um, in my previous career, and it's mm-hmm. a it's a it's a huge potential market that mm-hmm. most foreign companies can't really touch. But because mm-hmm. of my background and our network, and and bringing on board Tran and Takako, both be, both worked for for Google in their previous lives, and Takako was uh, in the people analytics team at Google, both in Japan and the US for over eight years. Um, Tran worked at BCG as a consultant on on these kind of projects, and so we brought on board this this tremendous amount of of knowledge and expertise that that, that balanced out, out out my my experience in HR. But we're very much a a user group that has been building this product. And so now, yeah, the, the 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 kind of early senior team that joined what four years ago now mm-hmm. um, are, are are respectively our COO and CRO, and they lead the Japan business where a lot of our clients and investors are. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been a, yeah, it's been a great journey of just finding amazing people that that see the product. When Takako first saw the product, we saw right, where right. we were at that point, like a year in. She basically said, "This is what we had at Google. This, this is this is what we built right, in house right. at Google. Except right. this looks nicer." And that was like <laughs> the biggest compliment we could we could get. Um, yeah. She used to, to do presentations to um, 
to other companies about how, you know, how is Google leading people analytics? And, and one of the main questions that should get from, from other company people is, well, well, we're not Google. We can't, we can't build a tool like that. So how do we do it? And she never had an answer because mm-hmm. there was nothing on the market like it. But, but mm-hmm. now she has an answer. It's, you should go and buy panel it. It's, uh, <laughs> it's been a really nice story of just, just finding the right people. And, and we've got a really tight team that's, uh, and I mean, I'm going to jump around a little bit. I mean, you, you, I want to talk about the MVP in a moment, but also mm-hmm. jump to a question I had for later on, which was, you know, team building is endogenous, right? So yes, okay, you're going to you're going to try and find the right people and balance yourself out and complementary skill sets. And there's a timing aspect as well that you were talking about there with the, the Japan um, expansion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you, you also did a lot of work in those early days to build uh, kind of company culture. You've got a remote um, um, strategy a little bit as well. Like you, you all work from different places. Uh, so can we talk a little bit about that? Like what did that look like in the early days of, of, it's a bit meta. You're an HR analytics company and I'm asking you about how did you measure and manage your, your own team building? But that's kind of what I want to understand because you, looking back over it, you really did well on that. I mean, you, you had a lot of positive culture building, it seems like from the outside yeah. uh, that we could learn from. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, we're still a very small team. We're still, you know, less than 20 people. Um, Mm -hmm. it doesn't, it, uh, analytics as a, as a tool to build isn't, isn't people Mm -hmm. intensive. We, we've built a, a a huge data infrastructure and, and a great Mm -hmm. UI. UX, but it, it it doesn't need a lot of people to, to build a system like ours. Um, mm-hmm. It just takes time and and a, and, a, and a lot of a lot of work. Um, but so we're not a, a huge team, so it's not really about um, uh, the analytics and the kind of tools that we use for for supporting our clients. Don't really apply to a company of our size. Um, mm-hmm. Most of our clients are five thousand, ten thousand employees. Right, it, 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 that's the scale at which analytics really really works. Mm-hmm. Um, but. But yeah, I think we put a lot of effort behind culture from the beginning. Um, as, I, as I said, you know, Yusuf and I did, did consulting for, for high growth startups, right? We, mm-hmm. we, we worked very closely with teams that, <laughs> that were dysfunctional. That's why we were there. Um, and I was, I was parachuted in to, to, to help struggling, you know, C suites, um, to, to, to grow their teams effectively and to, to sort of get ready for growth. Um, mm-hmm. So I've seen, you know, that, so that alongside working at Apple and working at Uber and 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 the the other sort of bigger companies I've worked at and working closely with senior leadership there, um, you know, I've seen what's gone, what goes wrong, and what goes right at, at, at startups. I've seen some fantastic founders, and I've seen mm-hmm. some some really really bad ones that have built really negative cultures, um, and and so I suppose we went into it with a with a real. Um, mm-hmm. With a real strong desire that if we're going to do this, we're going to try and do this right. We're good. We're going to try to. Mm-hmm. Our, our goal isn't to build the the biggest, most you know profitable company in the world. The, the, our, our goal is to build a product that people really want to use, and build a team and build a mm-hmm. company where people really want to work there and 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 do mm-hmm. their best work and enjoy themselves. Um, and so, yeah, that's been our that's been our goal from the beginning. And I think if you start from that premise, if you start from the premise that we're all going to work together and we're going to drive this company together and, and, mm-hmm. and you know, no one's more important than anyone else and, mm-hmm. um, and we're going to work as collegiately as possible and everyone's ideas are important, that builds a, a different kind of, a different kind mm-hmm. of culture than I think a lot of startups have. Um, but, what do you, but, yeah, what do you it comes think? from seeing it go wrong, yeah. What do you think, like, uh, in, not in terms of naming names, but just, you know, if, if you're an early, stand, early stage founder and you haven't thought as deeply and thoughtfully about um, kind of building culture and, and, and building performing teams, uh, what, are, what are some of those things that you've noticed in the ecosystem of, 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 of when it's gone wrong? 
Um, I, I think it. I, I think I think the universal thing is where you know, the, the the reason why people you know want to be founders, why they want to start mm-hmm. a startup, is very often ego driven. It's very often mm-hmm. I'm the smartest person in the room. I can't take orders from other people. I can't imagine working in a big company. Um, mm-hmm. And and I'm you know and. And yeah, I'm the smartest person in the room. So therefore, when they start hiring people, even if at the beginning they respect those the, the people that they're hiring, respect their skills and experience, mm-hmm. pretty quickly, if they if if the person they've hired has a different idea about how to accomplish something than the founder, the founder just bulldozes over them because the founder always knows best because they're the mm-hmm. smartest person in the room because they're the one that had the idea and got the money and 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 everyone else needs to listen to them. Um, mm. and that's what happens repeatedly. And, 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 and I've seen really, really good people, like people that you want to have a beer with and you're happy to hang out with, but in mm. the office, they, the, the, the stress and strain of being a startup founder and it is incredibly stressful. Mm. Um, it, that, that overtakes you and, and you, and you start to make dictatorial decisions, even if you have the, the best of intention. Um, mm. I suppose I'm lucky that. Having worked at again, having worked at Apple and having worked at Uber, I've been in much, much more stressful situations. <laughs> so, being a startup founder is very stressful. It's just not the most stress that I've been in. Um, mm-hmm. So, I, I can think I'm past that. And also, I'm, I'm much older than most most founders, and I've, I've run very, very large teams. I mean, in mm-hmm. in my sort of global HR roles, I've run teams of you know, hundreds and hundreds of people for for companies that are you know tens of thousands. So. So uh, you know, I, I've kind of managed at scale, and so that helps to to, to keep an even keel. But but yeah, it, it's but but yeah, that's where I'd, I'd say it comes from. It, it it comes from that 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 thing that's very hard to separate from the desire to be a founder, which is you have masses of self confidence, right. and when you have that masses of self confidence, it's very hard to start listening to other people and and um and sort of giving you know what's the word giving credence to other people's ideas. I mean, so Yusuf, I throw the same question to you, Yusuf. You're really well connected in the the Southeast Asian uh, network. Um, when you're meeting with other founders, so not even a question here about panel, but just what do you, what do you see? Without naming names again, it's it's just kind of what, what do you see when it goes wrong? What what goes wrong in in these early stage companies? Not necessarily in HR and data, but generally you, you're 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 very plugged in with the ecosystem. What have you noticed certain things that go wrong that maybe early stage founders could could kind of tweak and lever and 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 kind of avoid? What are the pitfalls? Oh, you're on mute, man. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I'll answer that with a caveat. For the last sure. two three years, I was in uh, I was also based out of Bali and different parts of Indonesia. Mm-hmm. So maybe there's a new kind of like web with Web3 and crypto, you've got a new founder culture that's come in, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I have not been plugged into. But generally what I've seen is, I think getting the co-founding relationship right mm-hmm. is especially one thing where I think people should pay quite a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. I think you should. I remember both me and Daniel were, and one of our other co-founders, Abdel, we'd gone to an accelerator and we'd done this really I think the tool was called fingerprint for success or something like that, where basically it asked us a lot of questions, yeah. was a bit painful to fill out. But once we did it, we could see how three of us ranked on different personality mm. type questions. Interesting. And with me and Daniel, we could immediately go and say, hey, because we've been working for two years together at that point, we could say, hey, uh, this makes sense. Okay, okay, I, I knew this was the right right. But with the third guy, both of us, both me and Daniel were like, well, we didn't know this, so we didn't know that. And then yeah. when you... Think about certain, let's say, 
arguments that you might have had uh, right suddenly you become cognizant of the fact where okay if only i had known that you thought this way as compared to how i see things right i could have understand your point of view better and have empathized uh, on that that's one aspect the team building side the other thing is you know like people building for hype as opposed to trying mm. to solve real problems we see that again now yeah. i suppose you've got like so many generative ai companies or sure. things yeah. people just trying to build something on top of gpt but what's the real business what's the use pain? cases yeah uh, and i think again there's different viewpoints to this right i i really like the whole idea of panelist because it was based off daniel's experience in uh, hr seeing different things mm-hmm. evolve mm-hmm. over the past 20 odd years or something if i do something else in hr tech in the future it would be based on my observations on hey this is something that people have actually told me is a problem it seems like there's a trend of founders coming up where they don't have a background there's no one on the team who has a background in a certain industry right but they're trying to solve a problem for that industry now there's pros and cons to that maybe the pro is hey you can look at things a completely different way and that's worked for some people but in the vast majority of cases i feel like people should be sure that they have someone with subject matter expertise on board the team either as you know like a co-founder or as a substantial shareholding advisor of sorts to kind of like help them on that journey so those are kind of like some of the issues that mm-hmm. i have seen i but love that co-founding stuff. teams the most co-founding team is the most important thing and i'll go i'll go and find this fingerprint fingerprint for success thing and kind of put it in when we when we release the pod so people will be able to find it because this is the type of thing that um you know it's it's not kitschy these tools are really useful um and i think they can help break down those early days and and help you empathize in your words yusuf so yeah. no, i yeah. i appreciate I, that i mean at minimum it it fosters a conversation that you wouldn't yeah. have had otherwise um, yeah. so yeah no i think they are they are useful you kind of want to you, you need to have to you need to be in a position where the the founders are open to it right you mm. have to start with good ingredients but this is mm. almost like a recipe to yeah. get at least that first that first uh, bit of empathy um, yeah. and talking about recipes actually that's a good little uh, uh cliched pivot to a quote that i loved yusuf that you had on one of your uh, posts uh you said enjoy every sandwich this was your uh, uh team oh. tuesday's post from uh, many years ago now maybe even 4 years ago 5 years ago enjoy every sandwich um do you remember what you were talking about there i can i can remind you if you need i stole i stole that from a warren devon song <laughs> and i think it means it means enjoy no, the little things quote. right yeah yeah it was a quote by him i think yeah it was a quote by him and enjoy the little things so in those early days building you kind of you kind of came with a baked mvp that was already close to what you'd been building in your head daniel so mm. um instead of going that route i want to go this other route of like what talk about enjoying the little things and talk about that customer acquisition or what what were the what were the real pains then in that first 100 days uh not not the barley days not the building days but like let's say the mvp yeah. hits what happens yeah. then what what did it feel like i mean obviously it's it, it's a it's an enormous it it, it it it's an indescribable feeling when you get the signatures on mm. on all the funding docs and you go oh oh okay I, I, this is all now real it, it it's it's okay i am quitting my job today and i am telling all the other guys that they are quitting what they're doing today and and this is the thing that we are doing as of today it's literally because it, nothing's done until the signatures right there in fact it, it, from a certain point of view nothing's done until the money comes in but i was working with people that i really did that i that i knew well so so i trusted the signature actually meant the money was coming um 
but yeah, you you it's it, it's 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 an it's an indescribable feeling too because you do so much work to get to that point and you build so much up in your head, um, and then you're on that day and it's okay first day of of, of, of a new firm yeah. is, is is an incredible incredible feeling um and uh, and and you you lay out a lot of plans that you end up scrapping very very soon after um mm. when you realize that some things go slower and some things go faster and and you have to just stay very very flexible i mean in terms of enjoying the little things the um so sort of, the, the the MVP team that everyone confirming that yeah okay I'm in and I you know one of our guys had an offer from Facebook on the table another mm. guy had an offer from from I can't remember LinkedIn or somewhere else big on the table and they rejected those offers and they came with us and that and that vote of confidence um, mm. was 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 just incredible and then in the early days uh, you, we had a, a couple of other roles that we needed to fill around designers and um and and other other sort of data science roles and and Yusuf was just incredible at, at networking and finding mm-hmm. really interesting niche people that that were interested in us um mm-hmm. and and so i'd say that one of the one of the joys is meeting someone amazing and they want to join and they want to be on board on your mission um right. was, was fantastic um but i the 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 kind of very the 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 routine joy that never gets old is when we sit down in front of a client and we still have this today and we had this five years ago of sitting down in front of a potential client some um, you know hr leader at a, at, a, at a company and sitting down and saying this is why we built the thing that we built and let mm-hmm. me walk you through a demo and mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. kind of understand what we're talking about and then they start seeing the demo and then they mm-hmm. start saying oh oh but can it do this and this is really interesting. I've never seen anything like this before. This is solving exactly the problem that I have. And we've had that reaction consistently in, I would say, almost every uh, client meeting we've ever had for, 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 for five years. And that's a, that's a really nice experience to have, people to see the product and go, this, this is really different. Because we most HR tech is built, uh, kind of what Yusuf was alluding to, most HR tech is not built by people with any HR experience. Most mm-hmm. HR tech is built by engineers or or marketing people um Mm. and it shows most hr tech is is terrible um (laughs) and we built a product that i wanted to use and that my network of of, my Mm. my hr buddies this is what we wanted and it worked exactly the way that we wanted it to work and so then you show it to most hr people and they they get it and and that's really that's a really nice um you know, that's a really nice confirmation that that you're doing the right thing, and and that and that you're making someone's life just that that little bit that little bit better. Um, how did you how did, yeah. how did you go about that then? Like, because the the HR person is the person that understands the value of the product, so they're really mm. the customer, but mm. that's not necessarily the door into the business that you can open. So, so it's, how did you go about so, that? So, so, so that's a really that, that is a you know absolutely accurate observation HR people are very poor at the internal cell. So, mm-hmm. you know, if a sales leader sees, sees a great CRM product, a salesperson knows how to sell internally to, to get mm-hmm. that CRM product bought. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I, to IT people, like a good CTO is great at the internal mm-hmm. cell. The best mm-hmm. HROs, CHROs in the world are typically still pretty poor at the internal cell um mm. so we do need to do a lot of work to support them to give them materials and mm. give them the the use cases so that they can take that internally and and sell it but but also we do do a lot of work to 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 target coos cfos the the people that are receiving the people data so if you're a senior business leader and, and again I think about all of my clients back in the companies that I worked for, they're always frustrated that HR data is a month old and never really that accurate. And that month to month, the data doesn't 
isn't consistent because there's always some manual process in the data and you do it a little bit wrong here or a little bit wrong there the the, the formulas and the data just come out differently um and an hr data is messy and it's spread across multiple systems and and hr never has the the it resource or the data analytics resource to to, to get it right um, and so we, we would approach COOs. We we we, we now we, we approach COOs and CFOs, and when we say your 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 people reporting is still a, a monthly deck, right? It's still a monthly Excel sheet. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the system, you could access it on a real time basis. You can get prediction of of who's going to leave and and when and why, and you can see the correlation of of um, you know, salaries to to exits or of new hire engagement to new hire exits. Um, and you you can see where where the issues are in the business uh, from a people's perspective um, before they happen. And you can have this in real time on your desktop. And wouldn't that be a nice thing to have? Um, and yeah, that's a pretty compelling, compelling story. Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, I hear a lot from founders about, you know, they're building a business to business tool. Maybe it's a SaaS tool and they're, they're, they're trying to get in to the organization to speak to them mm. because you've got to get in to generate, to inspire the value that you think you're bringing. Right. And, yeah. and HR is a particularly interesting case because I, I agree you, you, you don't, I don't think HR professionals sell internally very well. That language no. that you used there was, was a very nice yeah. way to frame it. But other early stage founders have the same problem with whatever department mm. they're selling to. Like procurement oh, yeah. is one I see a lot and and selling to procurement people is kind of interesting because they're kind of they're used to being sold to <laughs> but in another they're not being sold to for their own uh, use. Yeah. They're being sold to and they're the gatekeeper of uh, yeah. whatever it is that the company might be buying. And so yeah. a procurement tool that's being sold to them kind of gets an interesting space that do they have the leeway to make that decision well, um, there's a there's a massive difference in b2b SaaS between you you can you can build a better say in hr tech you, you can build a better recruitment system every company of any reasonable size has a recruitment system already so mm-hmm. you, it's about going to people and saying you're using x i know you're using mm-hmm. x we're selling you Y and it's better than X because of these reasons. And you're mm-hmm. already paying some money for X. You can pay a little more for Y or maybe even a little less for Y. Um, mm-hmm. And you can build the pitch around, I know what you've got. This is different from what you've got, right? And mm-hmm. this is better, better for the, all these reasons, right? That's, that's, that, that's very different from saying, you've never even thought about having this product, but you have this pain point and this product services that pain point. And so mm-hmm. that's more compelling than the first one in some ways because mm-hmm. – on the recruitment tool, you know, your pain points are generally being serviced. It could be better, but at least you have something that's working. Um, whereas, you know, people analytics, you've never had a tool like this. So we're going to completely solve this use case. There's this pain point for you. Um, but the, that's the downside is you're already paying something for that recruitment tool and everyone mm-hmm. in your business accepts that you need the recruitment mm-hmm. tool. So when you mm-hmm. say, let's get a better recruitment tool. Um, people go, oh, okay, I, I know the roughly the thing you're talking about. What does it cost? Why is it better? It's a practical discussion. When you're talking about the people analytics tool, it's it's first off, I've never heard of this thing. Why yeah. is why is this important to us? Can't we just do it mm-hmm. ourselves? Can't we just do it on Excel? Can't can't we just do it through Power BI? Or and and you've got a million questions to uh, to answer before you've even got to no no no. But the value of this is x or y or z right. um and, and and there is no budget for it and and so we're, we're selling a product essentially that no one ever has a budget for and mm-hmm. they need to go and justify a budget and and they do because we do show the value but but that is the real problem of trying yeah. to sell something that doesn't exist in most companies um 
And what we've really seen over the last five years is in the US and in Europe, um, this is becoming a much more accepted thing. For larger organizations, it's becoming acknowledged that you need to have a tool like this. So now you're starting to sort of do a comparative evaluation where still across Asia and in Japan and and and, and sort of Southeast Asia, you, mm-hmm. you're still basically selling the concept from scratch. And so, you know, they're, they're, I don't think one is easier or harder. They are, but they are very different. And you need to know that going in. Mm-hmm. I mean, so I guess a question over in that same vein of thinking, a question over to Yusuf. And Yusuf, I know you've worn many hats in the organization, but, but I think fundamentally you are, you're a data person. Well, could you give us an example of and I'm putting you on the back foot here, but can you give us an example of something maybe in relational analytics or something really specific to your tool that, that differentiates you from uh, some of these more classic performance management tools or HR management tools? Like what's something that really gets you excited about how you're able to manipulate the data and give an insight, let the users be experimental, let them save time? What comes to mind that, that really stands out in your mind? Compared to, let's say, classical HR tools that focus on a particular niche. Mm-hmm. You mentioned performance management. You might mm-hmm. have an HRIS where you have a, different modules which might include performance engagement or so on within a different within the same system. Generally, reporting is still on a per silo basis. Mm-hmm. The data is still siloed up, and someone needs to manually do the work together of tying that data up together. Mm-hmm. Now. Even if that bit can be automated, there's the problem of pushing the data out to mm-hmm. multiple stakeholders within the company. Mm-hmm. So if you've got to push the data out to maybe one or five people, then just doing it on W can be good enough. But imagine if you're in a situation where you have to push the data out to 500 people mm-hmm. and you need to actively manage permissions. Uh, you need to manage who can see what data which data should be masked for some people. Maybe for some people, you want some data points to just be shown in aggregates as opposed to actual individual specific numbers or so on. Mm-hmm. And actually backtracking a bit, even on the data ETL side, uh, to do it once in an ad hoc manner is one way, but to set up a system that scalably does that in an automated manner over time, especially when you deal with data sets such as recruitment or so on. Uh, that becomes quite complicated. So if you look at the data ETL side of things, I think like that's where every HR analytics company, not just us, adds a lot of value mm-hmm. to companies and just automating that side. Now, if you compare us to our different competitors on the HR analytics front, right, where we've really set our foot on is the idea of data democratization pushing the data out to multiple stakeholders within the company. And one Mm -hmm. of the interfaces that we have is something that we call the people balance sheet, which is basically all the HR metrics for a company viewable in a balance sheet format, month over month, quarter over quarter, in a way that people are already used to seeing and being able to push that data out to a lot of stakeholders within the company so that they can see just their own population with you know benchmarks set up and they can filter down as they want within that population and so on. Uh, that's one of the aspects in which we have, I think like we differentiate ourselves. Um, now, apart from that one area, which we really differentiate from mm. uh, everyone in the space, and this is something that has been validated by several analysts covering the space, such as uh, Red Thread Research or uh, people such as Josh Person or David Green as well, is that we integrate relational analytics data. Basically, what I mean by that is 
the more classical term for it is organizational network analysis data, where mm -hmm. we are looking at information from, uh, let's say, the digital exhaust in a way of a company. Right? You're looking at the digital communications and collaborations. That's such uh, an interesting activity. way to put it. What a great imagery there. Just to just and to give then, you props on that. That's a nice way to put I mean, it. Digital exhaust. Yeah. With all due credits, I think like that was a post that one of the competing companies in the space wrote, and I just <laughs> liked it quite a lot. But we I think were in <laughs> no, I think I mean like it's this is a space where everyone's working really hard to evangelize the space. They're called yeah. workletics. It's just a different positioning angle altogether. Mm -hmm. So basically we look at the metadata, who's speaking with whom, and we look at the timestamps. Based on that, what we do is we map relation we map a relationship score between mm -hmm. different uh, individuals of the company mm -hmm. and then you can mm -hmm. aggregate that up however you want to look at that's very interesting so basically cool. mm -hmm. what you get is a social graph of the organization that actually mm -hmm. shows how people are working and collaborating with each other as yeah. opposed to your org chart right org so it's chart, like, right yeah exactly it's like companies spend so much money on you know like paying consultants to come in and design <laughs> yeah. the hypothetical org design but then you have no insight into how People are actually working right, until right. you miss two quarters of revenue and then you suddenly go and call another consultant again to help you understand, hey, where did the design go mm -hmm. wrong, right? Now, what, there are quite a few companies who have attempted to solve this space as well. Now, where mm -hmm. we differentiate is because we came in as an HR analytics platform, we already had all the other underlying data related to that employee in place. So mm -hmm. we're not just looking at the networks, we can now get into, let's say, what network behaviors correspond with what outcomes for the company. Examples some kind of causation be... as well, right? So information flows tied yeah. to some kind of operational financial KPI. Yeah, you can find the causation yeah. between exits yeah. and, and relationship activity. Cool. Yeah, so for a good example is so one of our data scientists, actually the head of our data science um, team, he won the third prize at the Wharton People Analytics Conference, which is mm -hmm. one of the, mm -hmm. it's the most prestigious conference in the, academically in the people analytics space. And what his research said was that just by looking at public activity data, and this is nothing private, this is just stuff that's out there on Slack channels, right? By looking at activity patterns and Slack channels, uh, companies can predict who's going to leave the company mm -hmm. up to four months in advance. Like wow. you see a very clear trend where the activity patterns, if you're looking at it in terms of the number of active collaborators, the, what's the last first login, last login spread on a daily basis, what's the average relationship score of a person in the way that we define it. I think there's uh, one more factor, which I, I forgot. Number of relationships. It's, it's pure yeah. volume, right? So yeah. it, it's, it's the volume of, of connection it's the volume of communication the size of your network and and yeah the the login the the first login last login out time that's very meaningful though right like uh, from the outside and, mm. and a lot of the people listening are not going to be in the hr analytics space but yusuf by talking about the product and talking about differentiation a couple of things to come to mind first of all it's incredible for someone that's on the data side on the architecture side on the product side and i know you've worn different hats but to be able to actually think about positioning, right? You, 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 being able to do that is so valuable because now you can start thinking about, okay, how do we, how do we discipline ourselves in terms of what we give priority to and what we build in the product? But the other thing that just jumped out to me there is this, this predictive quality of your relational analysis that you can say, look, this person is meaningfully not engaged and mm. we predict that they, they might exit. Um, so 
then presumably HR can get involved and try to support that person's integration and support them. Maybe yeah. they don't have something that they need. There's some, obviously there's a lot that's not captured by panelists. So then the, 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 the person who's in the role still needs to, to, to act, but it gives them the tool to be, uh, to have that insight and then also to figure out how do I, how do I get that person's uh, metrics up as a, as a yeah. proxy for their holistic happiness in the, in the team. That's really interesting. I, th- I think you're right. I think you've hit it. The, the, you talk about the, the HR partner can now focus in on someone who's actually struggling and we can see in the data that they're struggling. The um, all, all large organizations have, have been paring down and cutting down their HR teams. HR is a percentage of, of the total headcount that, that the HR team gets smaller and smaller and smaller. It's one of the reasons I left HR because we were so massively overstretched and yet the workload it's didn't squeezed, disappear yeah. mm-hmm. and you can't be effective, especially mm-hmm. you can't be effective if you don't have data to work on. Mm-hmm. Whereas this, the network analytics that, that you're just talking about allows you to really focus in. Let's say you have 50 new hires in the team you're supporting. You can't mm-hmm. you can't do your regular work and go to every fifty one of those people and go, How are you doing? Are you connecting in with your team? Do you feel sure. supported? Yeah. Yeah. You can't do it. You can do a survey, but the survey is gonna find out how they feel on that day. It's not mm-hmm. the surveys are incredibly recency bias uh, driven. So so it, it will tell you accurately how they feel that day, maybe the day before, but it won't tell you anything about how they'll feel three days later or three days earlier. Whereas mm-hmm. the network analytics allows you to look at those fifty people and say of uh, when we look at the history of new hires how many how many people do they genuinely generally have a strong relationship with by this time in their tenure in their first month in that third month in that sixth month how many people would we expect them to have strong relationships with and how many in their direct team and how many mm-hmm. across the business and then mm-hmm. you can in our interface you can very very easily filter mm-hmm. it down and see the three or four people that have fewer relationships than than the rest of their cohort and then you've got those three or four people and you can look into who they are and where they're sitting and who their boss is and who their colleagues are and you can mm-hmm. reach out to each of them along with someone else in who could be in their network and say you mm-hmm. guys should connect and, and this is this this is a strategy for you to you know increase your network and your um, engagement with the organization and if you can focus your effort in on those three or four uh, people, if you can focus in on on those individuals who are struggling, then you can actually get them engaged and stop them from leaving, and then you've actually accomplished something. As opposed to trying to cover all fifty, and you'll never be able to do it, and then you'll have those three or four people leave. It, it, we're trying to give a tool for for HR to 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 do their jobs better, to be mm-hmm. able to be more focused and support people in a better mm-hmm. way. Um, I think one of the the very early pushbacks I got from from uh, um, an HR professional was was that you know we rely too much on technology and she, and her her feeling was that HR should be about the heart, not about data. And and my pushback to that is you 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 don't have time for HR to be about the heart, about the human connection. If you're trying to service everyone at the same time, the data is what allows us to identify who really needs our help so that we can help them. Yeah, I mean, it's this question around. Uh, you hear it a lot in 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 this discussion of AI, and 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 that, yeah. uh, to your point, it's a sensationalist space in some ways. But the point I've heard from that talk recently, which I which I think is important, is let let machines do what they're good at, and let us do what we're good at, right? Yeah. And so, yeah. Panelit doesn't replace the role of the HR partner, and it certainly no, doesn't cool. doesn't take the heart out of HR. What it does is let the partner actually spend more time on what the heart can spend time on and, mm. and do it well and target it right um yeah. let me I, I think i've probably got Just, about yeah go ahead please Michael, i want to jump in with a couple of things quickly yeah mm. so i know we talked about the attrition use case but where we are coming from from 
the whole relational analytics side is how can we help the employees uh, themselves, right? So Daniel's use case was around new hire on Boda. Yeah. Now, what personally drew me to this, and maybe I should have touched upon this earlier when you asked me about um, my experience with Daniel, right? Mm-hmm. Did a summer internship at one of the investment banks, mm-hmm. and I was in a situation where, so you get assigned, let's say, an, on, an onboarding buddy, mm-hmm. and you get assigned someone else. I forgot the term for it, right? In the situation I was in, the person I was assigned to who was one year into the company, he didn't have an internal network. Mm-hmm. And my buddy in my team was a contractor who didn't mm-hmm. care about building an internal network. When you look back at who actually got converted after that internship, it was the people who had, and my manager was at leave, um, very fun internship. But then uh, basically, when you see the people who got converted, they were the people who the program right. had put in place with people who had active networks. So, you mm-hmm. know, I had a friend mm-hmm. where every other day he was being taken to meet VPX, mm-hmm. VPY, VPZ. Of course, he got converted at the end of it, right? Mm-hmm. And then when I started working with Daniel, now, of course, like Daniel has a network of some really high-level people about him. I felt like I got that opportunity to just grow so quickly as a person mm-hmm. as compared to my peers, both professionally and personally. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the tech that we're putting in place, even within a company, can ensure that everyone can have an equal access to that. And we've covered use cases with clients where we've scoped out you know, like how can we ensure women are getting equal representation in terms of relationship, equal right. access to relationships with leadership as compared to men or so on. The second thing is where we kind of like see this going is eventually is we've talked about helping HR help employees, but we think that there might be a way to do this such that it's the the employees is getting nudged by some sort of a super, super connector or an mm-hmm. AI kind of like bot where that basically does away with any concerns around, you know, like who's seeing my data or so on, because then you just have a black box system that's mm-hmm. telling people, hey, Michael, why don't you try connecting with these three people? And right. then just nudge you to do that, right? So let's see, interesting how that kind of like goes ahead. Just just wanted to clarify. No, I, I love that clarification. I love that clarification. And I think I, um, for, the, for the listeners' benefit, and I... First of all, I knew we would go over time with you guys because you, both of you just have so much to say that's really deeply interesting. So if you're okay with another 10 minutes, we'll, we'll try and wrap up in the next 10. Sure, um, sure. But uh, in your early story there, um, Yusuf, um, you know, you, you also had negative experiences and remembered that pain when you were building um, uh, in terms of integration into a company culture uh, and the networks that were there when you arrived and which part of the network you got connected to reinforcing uh, your lack of integration. Um, and that was your inspiration, right, to join Panelette and build something that could break that up. And I think it's really important what you said too, that it's not a case of we're building a tool for HR managers to track employees and we're not building a tool to uh, reduce attrition. These are, these are not the ways that you frame it. You're framing it around, look, we're trying to help the, com- the, cus- the customer or the, sorry, the employee in this case, transition through the company, have a, have a journey through the company, be connected in the network of the company, and the word that comes to mind is democratizing data. You used it earlier for a different reason. And I'm hearing it again here, actually, is you're mm. democratizing access to that network. You know, that someone who comes into a company by chance is assigned to the wrong buddy, which doesn't have an active network. And the other person is and, and A goes forward to, uh, you know, have attrition in four months and B goes forward to become VP. Uh, but it could also be ethnic. It could be gender, like a woman 
joining is going to be slightly at a disadvantage because she's not going to get connected in the right way. And the HR partner then can kind of see that that's happening in a meaningful quantitative way. Right. Yeah. Um, I can even imagine in certain cases, you know, um, ethnicities too are getting uh, prejudiced against in terms of advancements is something that's huge in yeah. Europe that we think about a lot. And I can see the application of this tech in Europe to say, well, wait a minute, why is a not moving through and B is is moving through. We can't just say it on a black and white, this is why it's happening. But now we've got data, we've got substance, we've got a relational analysis that can help us understand that. That's a really nice um And, and, and what's great about that example is you don't need to be tracking ethnicity. Mm-hmm. Like ethnicity exactly. is yeah, in, in, all around the world is not always mm-hmm. a, a value that people that companies mm-hmm. allow you to or countries allow you to track or governments allow you to track right. or that people yeah. want to admit. But you don't need that in the data. You, you just need to be looking at yeah. the actual relationships exactly, and you'll identify so the people yeah. that are being sidelined, and it'll be <laughs> to use a to use a, uh, an outdated phrase, colorblind. But the, but the mm-hmm. but the system will be colorblind, and and mm-hmm. therefore ethnicity will uh, or any disadvantages due to ethnicity or or, um, or gender or mm-hmm. or sexual mm-hmm. preference or, or any of these areas, mm-hmm. the system kind of won't care in a positive way it'll see mm-hmm. the people that are being disadvantaged and, and it'll escalate them and it'll and if we do it in the automated way that Yusuf and i've been talking about the it, it'll it'll do it without reference to anyone else there won't be any gatekeeper it'll say mm-hmm. these people are really great networkers these people aren't building networks as quickly we are mm-hmm. going to proactively connect them through mm-hmm. the through the system itself um, and then measure the results. And then if it doesn't work, we'll do it again. And if it does work, then, then we will learn. Um, yeah, and, yeah, and when you talk about data democratization, this is, yeah, absolutely part of, of the mission that, that, that we set for ourselves is to, 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 to get the data out there and give access to the data to the people that can use it. And whether that's mm-hmm. managers or whether that's employees, um, HR has been a, a real black box for, for, for too long. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and we need to responsibly get, get the data into the hands of people that can actually use it. Mm-hmm. I'll give you a paper to kind of like link to in the podcast notes as well. It's by a person called Michael Arena, who's very well respected in this space, mm-hmm. touching upon the concept of homophilic associations. Mm-hmm. So you might have cultures which are diverse, mm-hmm. but they're not inclusive, and even like diverse groups are not mixed and their own clusters within a company. But Nice one, man. Enough, enough about when I keep on speaking about it for. I can tell we could do it probably <laughs> we, two yeah, hours. Yeah. We can do a whole series on this. But shoot me, shoot me the article because I think you know listeners are going to have different interests. Some of them are going to be early stage builders thinking about, well, how do I build? How do I pick a partner? How do I how do I think about that initial early days of building culture? And I hope as well. I, I think we've you know illustrated some of the interesting aspects of HR analytics that's new to me. I mean, I, I'm certainly learning about. Uh, this question of attrition and and uh, connection, meaningful connection. So, well, link the um, article um, and I'll, I'll put it on. Um, and, and to your point about, about early stage founders, most of what Panelit does in terms of big data analytics only really works at scale. Um, sure, but, exactly. but but network mm-hmm. analytics interestingly works at very small team sizes. It, you don't mm-hmm. need a massive amount of um, mm-hmm. you don't need a huge employee base to see that the new hire isn't connecting in well. Of course. Mm-hmm. You know, again, on small organizations, if they're all mm-hmm. physically sitting in the same place, it doesn't have quite the same impact. But if you're building a remote first, remote only or broadly distributed team, and still, if you're only 10 people, 15 people, this is actually still incredibly valuable to see that the, 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 mm-hmm. your, your investment in those new hires and the people really are connecting um, yeah. to, to each other. Um, and, so that, that's an interesting thing for early stage companies. And I, I'll, ask the, I'll ask the last question, but I think just to sort of synthesize a lot of what I've heard from you guys is that. I think there's a lot that early stage founders can 
learn about inclusive culture building, right? And and you've you've practiced what you preached through your very small team, so you don't need uh, large data analytics to do this. But you've practiced what you, you preach in terms of inclusive um, um, support and promotion, really, of of, of the team. Uh, mm-hmm. You speak so warmly of them, and then you've built a tool to say, okay, well, how do we take if you've got a company of a hundred thousand people and you've got a company of ten people, um, a company of ten people, you can be really proactive as an HR partner and see. I know someone's not connecting here. I know that they're 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 not feeling really included. Let me let me try to support. But a company of a hundred thousand people can't do that, or ten thousand people can't do that in the same way. So, mm. it, to me, Panelit is basically taking your approach to inclusive, um, you know, management or, or team building and scaling it up with with relational analytics that's how i've mm. that that's how i've heard it and and i think mm. it's uh that's interesting. it's yeah. it's it's a uh, to me it's it's fantastic right uh, it's super interesting but so my last cool. question um what's next guys we've got a couple of minutes what's next for panelit um so in terms of what next for panelit the the uh, some of the things we've been talking about today in terms of um the 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 leveraging of network analytics and and how we can um put more automation beside behind that and, and make it more valuable for, mm-hmm. for for clients but network analytics is a very advanced use case of of, of 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 people analytics and so it's it's kind of our sort of top end aspirational product for a lot of our clients the 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 kind of immediate uh, what's next we are we are raising our our series a uh, round at the moment our, which is our conversion round um that's been that's been really great in some ways. We've got some fantastic backers, but very painful in other ways because we're doing it now where the markets are completely insane. Sure. Um, sure. And, and so anyone else who's, who's fundraising right now, you know, you have my sympathies. It, it's, a, it's a hard time <laughs> to be doing it. Um, but, um, but no, we, we, we can see light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and, and then with that, with that fundraising, we, we've got um, a business plan laid out for the next uh, two years. It'll re- get us to our Series B. And through that time, we're really focusing on um, the, the, the bedding in the product, right? We, we've built a, a fantastically interesting and, and, and useful product, but we are selling it to larger and larger companies. And we just signed our most recent agreement with, with Sony and the US Sony Entertainment. Um, you know, that's a, a very large company with very you know, huge numbers of employees. And we need to make sure that the product is absolutely bedded in to, to, to handle that size, that volume of, of, um, of data and users. And so we're, we're entering into a, a year of, uh, let's call it you know, solidification where we are, we are bedding in the back end more strongly. We're putting a lot more effort around, um, new user experience and, and self-service and, and really moving ourselves from being the startup where you, you, you can expect that the product, you know, isn't, isn't all, all polished, but it does what it says on the tin. We're now moving it into a real enterprise level product where it becomes more polished and is, and is you know, the, the kind of product that people like, like Sony and Panasonic, you know, expect. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a fantastic transitional place to be in. And then we'll get to our series B and that's really when we're going to uh, take seriously about looking at the international markets beyond asia where else we want to focus on and i think we we have some great advantages around the kind of the tools that yusuf has been talking about that are still pretty unique and and we've had a very unique take on um there are some fantastic competitors out there i think we're in a a really interesting field and there's some great great companies but we're still pretty we are we are definitely unique in our focus on network analytics and our focus on the user experience the user being the practitioner and the employee Mm. um so so yeah so that's our our, our sort of next uh, our next phase that we're we're really excited about um um but yeah it's a it's a tough market but it's uh, definitely an interesting time 
Well, watch this space then. I'm excited to hear how it goes, guys. And uh, let's stay in touch. Um, we're yeah. coming up to the 60-minute mark, so I think probably I'll cut it from there. Uh, but really appreciated the time uh, that we spent together today, Yusuf and Daniel. I appreciate it. Um, Thank you. A lot of lessons, a lot of insights, and I look forward to our next conversation. Yeah, I look forward to it. Stay in touch. Cheers, Cheers Michael.